Hello, everybody. This is Jason Grace. Thanks for tuning in to Searching with JTG. That T is for Tyler. I have three names because I'm fancy as fuck. Uh, I want to thank you for for listening. If you're here again or if you're here for your first time, I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. I know that there are so many different places for us to consume different kinds of information. It is all at our fingertips, and it's so easy to uh, to check out everything, anything that you could possibly inter- be interested in. So uh, if you do take the time, I, I, I appreciate it, and I hope that it provides some value, some fun, some insight uh, into your life. It is uh, my pleasure to share this conversation today with Andrew Stortz, who has his own podcast that's been around a lot longer than mine. Uh, He's got a much bigger following than mine. Um, His is called Books Closed, and he does a great job at talking to a host of different tattoo artists from all different walks of life uh, with lots of different opinions, and I very much respect that, his his consistency and uh, how often he puts it out there and how how much of an effort he makes to talk to uh, just all different kinds of people that, you know, we live in a a day and age where we are in a constant state of flux. Things are always changing and uh, identity politics and racial relations and and all of these things. And he really does seem to go out of his way to uh, include everyone. And that's what I'm all about, man. I don't see any reason for division I mean, I see why it exists, but I, I strongly disagree with it. Uh, it's not in my nature at all. I, I want. I'm a very inclusive person. I, I want the best for everybody. Uh, even when I don't understand things, I, I have the desire to understand, which is part of what this whole podcast is about. Um, and that goes for people that I would strongly disagree with their points of view. I still have. Uh, curiosity as to why they would think those things why they might believe those things and if my reaction to their beliefs or their ideas is uh super black and white then there is no room for conversation and i think that it's important for us to be able to talk to one another it's not the case with andrew we had a very easy conversation we we talked for quite a while and it was really fluid uh you know to be honest i always wanted to be interviewed by andrew on his podcast uh one because i had things that i want to share uh i've i wanted to share about things that i've learned in my life and things that have proven to be useful that i never knew about and uh wanted to share my story and i guess because i'm an artist i have a bit of an ego even though I'm all about not having an ego. It's still there. So uh, I turned the tables and interviewed him. And it was really fun. It, it was one of the easiest conversations I've had. Um, I am coming through a two-week spell of uh, just having a really hard time. I, I hit the bricks, man. I Out of nowhere, well, I threw my back out at the gym and... That laid me up for a while. I just couldn't find any motivation. I couldn't find uh, 
I, I honestly, I couldn't get myself to do anything. And I was watching myself do it. I think part of that is the plight of a creative person, but I don't think that it's limited to just us as creative people that we always feel the need to be doing something. Uh, I think that that spreads out farther than the creative soul. I think that that is part of the Western mindset. It's part of something that we've inherited by growing up in the West, of in this land of opportunity where we can achieve anything, where we can make our dreams become a reality by having those dreams and by wanting to become something. Uh, doing nothing means that you are being lazy. At least that's what it is in this Western mindset. And I am a victim of that. I'm still... Uh, struggling to get on my feet financially after moving back from Costa Rica. Uh, the licensing in Oregon has been really a, a difficult hurdle to jump over for tattooing. Uh, so I'm just not doing as well as I would like to be doing. And that is really frustrating to me because I want to. So to watch myself sitting there, one, I couldn't move, but to watch myself not doing the things that I want to do that I know that make me feel good. I know that I feel good if I meditate. I know that I feel good if I journal. I know that I feel good when I use my body, get in the body, mind, spirit. I know that I feel good if I eat well. Uh, you know, all these different things. But I did everything possible to avoid any uh, feeling at all. I, I scrolled on my phone and I watched TV for about nine days like I stopped smoking weed because I can't really control my weed consumption but I replaced it with the phone and with uh tele with television and I don't know if anybody out there I would assume I'm not alone in this that I could be on my phone but I start to really hide I hide away other than Miranda my girlfriend and her parents I would do my best not to respond to anybody it almost felt like I was afraid to do that or maybe I was ashamed of myself and where I was at and I didn't want to talk about it or, or what. I'm not quite sure what it was. So after that last uh, interview that I shared with Porus Walker, I, I called a therapist and I did therapy again for the first time in, I don't know, seven or eight years. And man, it felt so good. It felt really, really good. I've done so much self-work over the past five or six years through reading so many different like self-development books and reading philosophy and learning about what was good for me and how I could learn to be healthy because I just wasn't. I loved drugs. I loved alcohol. I loved seeking for happiness and pleasure. So there was a lot that I wanted to learn and needed to learn about being present and just how to take care of myself and uh so all of that has happened internally and through conversation with people but just through that simple act of uh, going to therapy and talking to somebody one time last week I felt like a breath of fresh air I felt like I was going to be able to unpack all of this information that I've learned and all these different techniques and tools and routines that I've picked up that proved to be beneficial, but I almost, maybe they started to become a little too rigid and I was just having a hard time processing it and I couldn't understand why I couldn't, uh, 
I couldn't, you know, come into this moment while I was doing everything I could to avoid being present or feeling anything. And, you know, I realized that uh, it's a little over a year since I, my ex-wife Julia and I split up and we still really love each other and care about each other. And that is at the same time that I am madly in love with uh, my girlfriend now, Miranda, and it feels like one of the best relationships I've ever had. And to be grieving the loss of one thing and celebrating the joy of a new thing is an interesting place to be. And then leaving Costa Rica where it's just beautiful and sunny and I had a great community to moving to a small town in Oregon where now there's sun, but there's not a lot of sun and I don't really have much of a community. There's been, it's a big transition for me over the past year. And, uh, you know, but there, I think I just needed to, to have somebody point that out to me, to be like, it's okay that you're feeling off. It's okay that you're feeling fucked up. And that goes for everybody at the moment because we just came through the craziest fucking year, man. More than a year. It's almost a year and a half of just insanity and loneliness and weird fucking times. So if you're out there and you're feeling weird and you're feeling lonely or that you want to be social but you feel like you don't want to answer the phone or step outside, you are not alone. And uh, do whatever you can to take care of yourself. Maybe consider going to talk to somebody because it really helps to unpack uh, what we have in our own minds so that we could start to see it a little better. One of the best ideas I heard about therapy was that it's, uh, you know, like un- unpacking a junk drawer. and you just you, It's just somebody there to help you put it into different piles. Um, yeah, so there's my brain dump. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the show and that it's making, you know, some that is putting some good out there because that's really my main intention with it. Um, and if you guys ever have any recommendations for guests, I'm open to all sorts of different kinds of people. Uh, you know, not just tattooers, but I would love to talk to everybody. I'd love to talk to, to anybody that's interesting and has uh, not just achieved anything, but just has an interesting view on the world. You know, that that achieving something also is a really uh western mindset there's tons of great minds out there that that aren't uh recognized or celebrated but are really interesting people and there'll be some conversations coming up with people like them so this is a really long intro uh but if you have any recommendations you could shoot me an email at jtgtattoos at gmail.com and uh i'd love to hear from you and If you're interested in donating to help the podcast get better, uh, you could look, go to anchor.com and you could do like a monthly donation through there. If you look up searching with JTG. Okay. That's it. Uh, thank you for the people that are starting to support it. It is very much appreciated. I see you guys, you ladies. Uh, thank you and go out there. Be good to one another. There's enough of the other shit. Okay. That's it. Here's a conversation with Andrew Stortz. Goodbye. I'm going. I'm going now. There we go. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Fantastic. Dude, it's wild how much you look like Ryan Schaefer a little bit. Who, me? 
Yeah. <laughs> without the without the crazy face tattoos. <laughs> I'm just some I'm a few face tattoos away from being his doppelganger. <laughs> Are you in your what is that your do you have it's a my, set office space? Yes, this is my little filming dungeon as of late. Cool. Got a fancy yeah. microphone. I do. Yeah, it's nice to, uh, I'm, as much as I hate doing the remote interviews, it's kind of nice to have like a set set up because all along up until recently, I've always just like traveled and set up in wherever and like torn down all the equipment and stuff. So it's nice to have like a, a more dialed in setup where it sounds way better and it looks way better. Yeah. And it kind of increased the amount of people that you could talk to too, huh? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to focus on the positives of it. And that's definitely one of the biggest ones. Yeah. Well, nice to kind of meet you. Yeah, you as well. <laughs> <laughs> so where where's home for you? You're in, is it Portsmouth? Yeah, I well, I live in Maine, southern Maine, but my shop is in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is like 20 minutes from here. Cool. You grew yeah. up there? Nope, I'm from upstate New York originally. Uh, Almost Canada. Super upstate. Super, yeah, <laughs> as upstate as it gets, basically. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing this with me. Of course. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Yeah. Turn the tables on you. I know. It's weird. It's weird being on this side. I feel like I'm always naturally inclined to try to like take over an interview, but I'm not going to do that today. Well, just a discussion. We'll just have a discussion. Right. Perfect. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. I'd like to welcome Andrew Stortz to Searching with JTG. Andrew Thank you. has his own fantastic podcast called Books Closed. And a bunch of YouTube videos where he has alter egos. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So thank you. Um, what, what, tell me about the start. Like, did you start with podcasts or did you start with those videos of the, was he Scandinavian guy? <laughs> Lars? Is it Lars? Claude Cloud. That was like my first thing. Um, <laughs> I started with the videos first. Um, the podcast was definitely after everything. Um, I, I was kind of, I guess, doing my own narrative about stuff I saw in tattooing through like satirical and attempts at comedy videos. So that was kind of the first thing that I did that uh, got some attention from some people. And it was encouraging to keep to trying to do more and having bigger ideas and spending more time with them. And it was, it's been a lot of fun making all this goofy shit, including my own podcast. It's been, it's, I enjoy doing it. It's a nice change of pace from tattooing every day. And um, I don't know. I like making people laugh. Yeah, I could see that with the, the videos definitely were comedic. Yeah. So who were some of your influences that kind of led you in that direction? Oh, man. I guess that's a good question. I watch a lot of YouTube. Like there a lot of a lot of random shit. And I, I definitely can see whenever I get into a new channel, like little bits and pieces, um, well, it will influence how I approach making all of the videos and even the podcast stuff. Um, so that's kind of fun taking from things that are like way different or on way different topics than tattooing. Um, but I mean, the podcast came later and it was it was more because I wanted to actually like discuss things directly instead of just trying to like poke fun at stuff. Cause some things you can't really poke fun at, or it's like not as constructive uh, compared to just having a conversation with someone. So that, that was kind of the, 
I got to a point where all of my video ideas became so grand and so expensive and it wasn't generating any income whatsoever. So I just couldn't do it the way I wanted to. And I was, it was getting a little frustrating because I was like renting fancy cars and renting fancy hotel rooms as sets and like doing all this shit because it's just how I envisioned it. And it was worth it to me, but I couldn't sustain that forever, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Yeah. Art can take some money, but I guess when you're having no expense, uh, rent really expensive cars and hotels. Yeah. Maybe not so no. nice. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and for what? So some people can watch it on YouTube. It's not like I had such a massive audience that it was ever going to convert into like making income back from it. So I, I had to like dial it back. And the podcast was a perfect way to do that, where it, it doesn't cost a ton other than like travel expenses when I was able to do that to to get to people and to make the make the shows that I was making. Right. But that's kind of like the plight of a lot of creative people, right? Like we all have these things that we want to make we're lucky enough that through tattooing we get to actually make a living and a creative pursuit but so many people out there have things that they want to do and they never make a profit off it and and you know and most creative endeavors take some commitment of time or finances to be able to make anything happen yeah have you ever had an idea so big that you just didn't even take it on yeah, except now that I've finally taken it on, but it took a long time to figure out how to get a hold of it. Yeah. I have a, I have a hard time, I have lots of ideas and I've had a hard time actually, I was really good at thinking about things and never following through. Yeah. Uh, Having the idea is the easiest part sometimes. Yeah, totally. Sometimes it's the hardest, but, <laughs> but I, I think it's nice to have things to reach for because then when you finally get there, it is sweet. Yeah, man. There's such you know? a, there's I such love a that. feeling of, yeah, feeling of completion, a feeling of accomplishment. That's a beautiful thing. Totally. And even if it doesn't work out how you hope, sometimes it way exceeds what you were even reaching for, which is like the ultimate. But even if it doesn't work out, you always feel good that at least you got there to try it. At least in my experience, it's that's been the result. So I, I'm never really let down in that sense, which I think is encouraging, you know, as new ideas snowball and you kind of reach for different things or bigger things or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that that could play into that idea that the journey is the destination, you know, because so much of what we're actually setting out to make, there is that joy of completing something and, and bringing something into existence, but the process of making it, that journey of, of making yourself show up and learning along the way so i think that's probably the most rewarding part yeah absolutely yeah so was it how old were you when you put your first video on youtube i mean that was i think it was like three or four years ago maybe 2017 so i was i guess i was like 30 31 when i started making the videos and were you nervous when you put it out for the first time um no, because at that point, there was no pressure or expectation. Like, you know, when you do something for the first time, no one thinks it's going to be great. So all you can do is be great, or it's just what, what it's just like a little minuscule step from where you were before you did that thing. So I, it was just totally a fun thing. I, I never thought that it would get attention. I mean, the very first video that I put out that was like in the vein of, of like tattoo satire was a, a step-by-step -step 
how to tattoo video, quote unquote. <laughs> and I, and I, it was like filmed really nicely. And it was kind of like process shots of me doing a little sailor Jerry shark on one of my client's arms. And, um, I like packaged it as like a credible thing. The thumbnail is super nice. It's like my hand setting up a tattoo machine and it's like all slick looking. And then there was like a trend on YouTube at the time. And there probably still is of, um, like a woman who's a makeup guru. She would have, this is my boyfriend. He's going to do the voiceover explaining how I do my makeup routine. So she films herself doing her like really complex and like good makeup stuff. And then the boyfriend's like, okay, so I get out my swishy brush and I do this. And it's just like a funny thing. That's like, whatever. So that was kind of the angle I took with that. And I had my wife who doesn't tattoo and has no tattoos. I had her do the voiceover. So it was, it was all just one take. She just watched it in real time after I edited it. And she's, and she's like, okay, put the thing through the sticker machine and, and then put it on and make sure you whatever. <laughs> and, and it was just like goofy. And it was after seeing the response to that, that I realized that people don't actually pay attention to the entirety of anything online. And so they miss the whole intro because it's like, oh, here's two dumbasses talking. Uh, let me get to the good shit because I'm going to learn how to tat today. And and then so you, I got all these comments that were just like, this is the worst fucking tutorial. <laughs> or they're like, what kind of sticker machine is that? Or like, what do you do? And she's like talking about all this like goofy shit. So they just they miss the joke and they take it as like just a really uninformative tutorial. Amazing. And I think that that was the first time I realized that you can really. I guess my goal has never been to deceive, but you can really like make some goofy shit that might go over people's heads a little bit. Totally. So that video now has over a million views, which is insane. But that also is part of like the the performance art of the whole thing, I guess, if you want to like put a pretentious way to talk about it, that it, having a million views on that video gives it so much credibility. So I continue to get views and I continue to get comments from people that think it's real. And it's kind of like watching a car wreck. <laughs> <laughs> so so that that like influenced me. I made a few more in the series of like how to tattoo videos that got increasingly heinous. And I think the last one I did was about how it was like easy hacks for your uh, tattoo kit. So I bought a tattoo kit on Amazon and I just did all this crazy shit. I had a shot of like, of like a centipede crawling out of one of the ink bottles. And then it just like all spiraled into like this weird horror movie scene where I'm like trapped in a basement and I'm all sweaty and screaming and I have like close-ups of my chickens and it's like horror movie shit. And then it snaps out of it and I've got like blood dripping out of my nose and then I throw up all over the entire tattoo kit. But oh people God. didn't watch it to the end. So they're just leaving comments like, oh, I fucking, I snipped my capacitor. Now my machine doesn't work, asshole. Like, what the fuck? You should put a disclaimer on it. And it's like, if you watch the video, <laughs> how could you ever think that this was a credible source of information? <laughs> oh my God. Crazy. Yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the weird world that I'm existing in currently. <laughs> <laughs> that's really fun that you get to take the piss out of things. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it seems like with the podcast, you're exploring you know, more, I guess, more serious topics, you know, it's actual, yeah. you know, discussions with people, but you get to have that commentary in a different way. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've definitely grown a lot from making the podcast and I, I don't think I grew a lot from making the videos. So for my own like <laughs> path of self-discovery, the podcast has spawned a lot more growth for sure. Yeah. So tell me a bit about how you grew up in upstate New York what your family was like. Yeah. 
Uh, my family is mostly artistic people, more so in the, the music realm. Um, I grew up super focused on music only. Um, and then that slowly blossomed into like skateboarding and hardcore music and all the pathways that can lead someone to tattooing uh, inevitably. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I had a pretty unsensational childhood. It was very nice. It was, you know, I, what I consider typical. Uh, it's kind of like a small town. Um, and yeah, I was, I was a drummer from, I started playing piano when I was young and then I started taking drum lessons when I was 10. And from there, it was all drums all the time through going to music school where I studied music education. And then I just quit music altogether. <laughs> and that was when I started tattooing after that. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was, a, I'm, I'm like a one track kind of person, I guess, where I'm f super obsessive with one thing and then I'll just completely drop it and go on to the next. And what, uh, your parents still together? Yep. Yeah. Brothers, sisters. I've got a couple half siblings that are quite a bit older than me from my mom's side. And then uh, I've got a sister who's two years older than me and we are super tight. Oh, yeah. I, for some reason, I, I imagined you having a good family life or like coming from a, a stable position. You seem, you seem to be pretty, uh, I don't know, centered and like not too extreme in any direction. You know, you seem like pretty, pretty level, which while it's very accurate, yeah, it exists in the tattoo community, but it definitely has a lot of people that are, I think, experience lots of highs and lows and are obsessive, you know, totally. It, it sometimes makes me feel like kind of uh, like I don't belong in tattooing in a sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I can see that. I, I've. I've wondered a lot about what brings people to it. And you said skateboarding and hardcore music, which I, I mean, the correlation is obvious, but I never really thought about it too much. I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what it is that draws people to get heavily tattooed and what it is that drew people to do it. And uh, yeah, and I've, over the years, I've come to realize that, man, it, it's all sorts of different people from all walks of life. Yeah. I think for me, it was just really having access to those things that, that tattoo, like being tattooed was part of, um, cause I mean, I was born in 1986, so I grew up on computers. Um, I think I was 10 when we got AOL on my home computer. So from then on, I was just like the whole world was at my fingertips. Right. And, um, and like the year later, I think I, my first year of middle school, I met who, uh, a friend who became like my best friend through all my younger years. And he was the one who introduced me to skateboarding. So we, we were like obsessed, obsessed with that. And he was into Nirvana and like cool shit like that. Cause up until that point, I probably just listened to shit that was on the radio. Right. Um, and then I remember the first time he came over, we had like this little computer room in my basement and he's like, I found online, you can see the autopsy photo from Kurt Cobain. You want to see it? And I was like, okay. And I don't think we actually found it, but we found some things that were not good. <laughs> it, it, but like from then on, it, 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 it's like a cliche, but it really opens up a whole world to be able to just have access to these things that I would never encounter in my life, in my little house in upstate New York with like my very normal family. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then there, there was also just a really strong 
hardcore scene in that town coincidentally and i think it was because um we were kind of like a midpoint between albany new york which is like as far as like non-new york city areas it's like one of the bigger spots for like touring bands and stuff i don't know if it still is but at the time it was but then montreal was like an hour north so we were like the last stop before you have to cross the border to montreal and do that whole thing so a lot of people a lot of bands that uh, went on to be pretty big stopped in shitty little Plattsburgh, New York over the years. And it was pretty awesome. Um, so I'm pretty sure it was around that same time. I think I was 11 when I started going to those local hardcore shows and it was just like insane. And everybody skateboarded outside. That was like the hot spot. There was like a little two stair thing and it was all outside of this church and all the curbs were like black and chipped up with wax. It was just like the spot. And we never got hassled. And it was like between bands, there'd be like 25 people outside skating. And there was a little corner store there and everyone would go buy sodas and chips. It was just like the perfect little eco center of all of us that were into similar things. But I was always like a little kid. So I wasn't super outgoing. I wasn't like the center of anything there. I was just taking it all in. And um, I think I always wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be the ones in the bands and I wanted to be, I don't know, more involved, but I was fucking 11 years old. So, so I wasn't, not for many years um, until probably like high school time, I started playing in bands and stuff like that, that were playing those types of shows. But, but you know, all those people were tattooed yeah. and they were so cool. And I can still see in my head, some of the guys, they're like cartoon characters. I see them in like, certain outfits that were just so cool to me at the time like the one dude with the black beanie and he had dreads and like black t-shirt and like cool like the fucking bullet belts and all that shit that's like that's like kind of hokey now because it's been so commodified i guess but yeah i mean that that was definitely the the big link to me i think to getting me into the more uh, uh like outside of the norm territories and interests while yeah. still being very inside the norm in reality <laughs> Yeah, it seemed like hardcore offered a good way for, I don't know, suburban white kids to expand their uh, horizons, you know, in terms of like opening themselves up to different ideas and maybe uh, feelings of extreme feelings and emotions that yeah. might not be otherwise allowed to feel or, or normalized. Yeah. And I never thought about that. I used to go see like H2O and 25 to Life. And they were a huge part of me wanting to tattoo and get tattooed. That's mm -hmm. really, really interesting. So yeah, Rick to life. He was one of the first <laughs> bodysuits I saw in person. He was terrifying. I know. And just amazing. Like you just look at him and be like, holy shit, I want to look like that. I'm right. Bald. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you said you went to school for music? Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw it through. Uh, I thought I was going to be a high school band director, <laughs> but I, I took a, I took a hard turn right before that happened. Where, where did you go to school? I went to school. Um, it's called the Crane School of Music, which is also upstate. It's like even more middle of nowhere than where I had been living. But as far as, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like prestigious when you say Crane School of Music, but it's just part of like one of the SUNY state schools. So, yeah. um, but it, it's like the most, um, their music ed program is, is super solid and it's like 80% of music teachers in New York state went through that school. So it's just kind of like for that in that area, that's where, that's where you go and that's what you want to do. So, um, but I was like, I, I don't know, I wasn't into it. I felt like I got burnt out on music before I even started college. So I kind of just coasted through the whole thing, which was surprisingly easy. Yeah. 
because when you're an education major, your own performance requirements aren't very high. You have to do like a 10 minute recital at some point in your four years. So it's like, okay, I can spend some time and learn 10 minutes of fucking material and just go piss it out on stage. And then I'm done. Wow. Crazy. So then you graduated and then what was your transition? So during my last year of school, I started working in a tattoo shop in my hometown. Um, I had a friend who was the piercer there and they were busy and they were definitely the best shop in town. There had never really been great tattooers in Plattsburgh before. Um, like I had never gotten tattooed. I would always go down to Albany or something to get tattooed elsewhere. Somehow I knew to do that and not just like settle for what was in my town at the time. Um, but I, I started just kind of hanging around cause I gotten tattooed a few times. Um, I was probably, I mean, I started getting tattooed right when I was 18, but I wasn't like going regularly. It was kind of like a big deal cause I had to travel for it and I didn't have a car and I never had fucking money or anything. So, um, I started hanging around the shop because that the, the whole allure of it was so strong and it, it, to feel like I had an in at a tattoo shop just felt like a really cool thing. Even if it just meant being able to hang out and shoot the shit and just like be around tattoos more, it just felt, it felt good. And it felt like what I, where I wanted to be. Um, so that kind of snowballed and I made friends with the owner and the other people that worked there. And it, they were just all like super cool and super fun to hang out with. And most of them were people that I hadn't met at that point, because they're all quite a bit older than me, and, and I never crossed paths with them, even in a, sm in a small town like that. But it snowballed into, they needed a piercer. So my friend Carly said, hey, you want to learn how to pierce? And I was like, okay, cool. Because I didn't even really work that much when I was young. I had like a couple shitty little jobs, but like, I, I really just coasted through life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, so it seemed cool, because making some cash, whatever, like in like I had stretched years, you know, the whole hardcore kid thing. It, it was like, sure, piercing feel, to me, it felt like it was part of the package at that time. Like, uh, so I started, I did that for a bit. I would, I would take this bus home uh, on the weekends and just work there Friday nights and Saturdays and then go back to school on Sunday mornings. And that was the whole first year that I was working in a tattoo shop. Um, so I knew I wanted to pursue that more as it snowballed into, hey, you want to learn how to tattoo? Because I was just like standing over the shoulder of the guy that owned the shop and just watching him tattoo and just trying to be like in there while he worked. And I, I never asked him to learn because like I, I couldn't even really draw or anything. I didn't have a lot of like visual art experience or anything at that point. So he kind of saw that I was interested and he asked if I'd want to learn how to tattoo. No brainer, of course. Um, but I kind of took it slow at first because I, I knew that I couldn't give a hundred percent to it while I was still in school and I was close enough to finishing school. I didn't want to quit with like a semester to go. It felt like not the right thing to do. Um, but as soon as I graduated, I finished my student teaching my last semester. And then like the next day I was full-time at the tattoo shop forever until today. And so it was weird after my parents helped put me through college and I moved back to Plattsburgh and I said, I think I'm going to work at the tattoo shop full time and see how it goes. And my mom was kind of like, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, my parents are like very supportive and very open-minded about stuff. Um, my mom was a music teacher. My sister works in like arts administration stuff, but she was a piano player and a singer and she went to music school. Um, my half sister is a music person great singer and composer. She got like her PhD. She's like serious music person. 
Um, and then my half brother is an, like a great visual artist. So it's like not abnormal to in my family to be like exploring these things. Right. Um, my dad's my dad was a banker. He was the odd man out at home, <laughs> but he went to all the concerts and gallery things. Like he's he was the good support system that just uh, cheered on everybody. He was a benefactor of the arts. Totally, totally, and, and I think he really enjoyed that and still does because he's. You can still see it whenever I post podcasts or tattoos. He's in the comments saying, "Nice one, <laughs> nice episode." It's it's awesome. I actually really like it. <laughs> That's cool. I wish I had a dad. <laughs> oh, man. You want to talk about it? <laughs> um, so what, so, you know, growing up in an artistic family that was musically inclined and then transitioning into tattooing and saying that you didn't have, you know, much of a foundation for visual arts. What's your experience of the difference between tattooing as an art form and tattooing as a craft? Mm. I feel like I've spent most of my time, even up until now, focused more on the craft of it or more as a craft. Because even being, even come like growing up in an artistic family where it was encouraged to play music and uh, do whatever, I feel like I'm even still very rigid in my approach to all of it. It wasn't, I, it, like my upbringing wasn't like a loose, like, yeah, just jam, just like bang around on the piano. Like, let's just, we'll get the family together and we'll like play some song. It was never that. We didn't have like a family band. My sister and I never played music together. We weren't like jamming and writing songs. None of that ever, ever, ever. It was like, it was a very academic approach to music the whole time. I was never a jazz guy as much as I love it. Like I can keep time and I'm solid and I can do that. And I can fucking tinker around a little bit. But when I got to college, I saw that there are people that were very different from me and they, they were just jamming and they were loving it. And it felt like I was not keyed into something that I wanted to be keyed in onto, like the looseness and the openness and the excitement. Um, at least how it seems to me, I still feel like an outsider to that sort of ability and mentality um, so, so like the tattooing as a craft, I think is the way I've approached it for so long. And I'm trying to like break free of that and see it more as like the artistic side of it and to really dig in more to being loose and being comfortable. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And how are you going about exploring that? I think, I think the brick wall that I hit with it is self-confidence. I think like in the last couple of weeks, I've finally like really truly identified the thing stopping me as myself in doing that. Um, it's just like a, like a fear of failure maybe. And even if it's in like a smaller example of just drawing something and it's not good the first time, of course that's gonna be the case. But it will, it will stop me from trying if I don't really try to push through it. And that's right. kind of crazy after, I mean, I've been tattooing for over 12 years and I still haven't pushed through that. There's still like basic things that I like super sweat drawing whenever they come up and I can do it and I've got tons of all the good reference and stuff, but I'm still just like mimicking and taking and borrowing and shaping and putting things together. And I want to get to like the next level. Yeah. Huh. There's, there's a level, I guess like a level of 
playfulness that I think. I don't have it. Right. So that's what you're lacking. So there's some things that I've, I've picked up over the years that I've really enjoyed, like drawing with your opposite hand, you know, and, and drawing from life and just, and drawing with your opposite hand go together really well because you'll start to draw things that you would never, ever, ever draw with your, are you right-handed or left-handed? I'm left-handed. So if you were to draw with your left hand, you would, you know, you're connected to that opposite side of your brain that visualizes things and interprets things. But if you switch over to the other side, then you go over to the opposite side of your brain, which is more analytical. So you're actually drawing what you're seeing as opposed to drawing what you think that you're seeing. Right. And there's so many awesome things that you can find through little practices like that. Like, oh my God, that I, I would never be able to do that with my left hand but I, I can do it with my right hand, but then you can see it and take it and be like, okay, I could, I can use this. So there's, there's lots of really, there's a book called uh, the artist way and one called drawing on the right side of the brain that are really, I think useful for learning ways to explore and trust yourself and trust that inner thing. Cause I think one of the things that happens with that tone is we get so rigid. One, we're working with people's ideas all the time. People are telling us what to draw. But two, it is such a craft that we have to do it in a certain way and we get kind of our muscles learn to do that. So if you're, if you're looking to explore that, I think those exercises, those two books could be really useful in terms of like opening up that other part of you that might not know how to go about it. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you had to overcome that sort of thing like earlier on? Or was it because some people just come into it and they're just naturally open and expressive and can kind of like dig in in that way from the start? I was the opposite. I was naturally expressive and open. Uh, and it wasn't until like 10 years in that I started to learn the craft of it. Mm. Which is weird because I got really, I got uh, notoriety for doing the expressive stuff, but a lot of it was because I didn't know how to put in a solid line and I couldn't do solid color. So, I developed a style that didn't need those things. And then it was like 10 years of studying the craft and, and learning how to do it correctly. And I don't know that I ever got back the really, I'm, I'm starting to get back the fluidity of it, but it felt like it became pretty rigid. For a yeah. While. I mean, that seems like the ultimate to kind of learn the two sides and then combine them. But that's obviously like a very long pursuit. What do you think is the best way to start off rigid or to start off overly expressive man i don't know like there's there's definitely a difference between creativity and and tattooing so that division between craft and art has been a thing for me over the years that i think i've come to terms with but they seemed very separate after i learned that so i think with tattooing i think it's good to learn the foundation of it i think about it like a pyramid so at the bottom, you have your the correct approach and you learn the basics of, of how something is constructed. So it's just like carpentry, you know? So right. if you, you have to learn to drive a nail, you have to learn to cut a, a clean piece of wood, how to drive a nail correctly, and then you can start to build your structures. But if you don't have those things, you build the structures and it falls down. And the more that you learn, the more intricate the structures can get. So I started on the opposite where it was very intricate, but it didn't have the structure. So I always, when I'm talking to younger tattooers, I'd, I'd talk about the pyramid and learning the really basic parts 
you know, and then as you go up, you start to get into like where Philip Blue is or like Mick where it starts to get more artistic and fluid, but that's the top of the pyramid. If you start there, right. it's going to look real wonky. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like when I see your work, um, it looks like you've hit the balance. I mean, to my eye, it's like, um, it seems like you're free and that you, you approach things that are like standard, but from a different way and in, in like in an interesting way, like you're, you're one of the people that I look to, to be like, okay, that to me, that seems like a really great balance. That's um, cool. And that's something that, that I aspire for. And I definitely got, I don't know how many screenshots of things you've posted, but I'm sure there's <laughs> quite a handful on my phone. <laughs> that's cool. There was way back when I was doing this really artistic kind of street art, very sketchy watercolor style people could look at something i'd made and knew that it was mine and that was i i missed that i don't maybe there's some things that i can do now that would be that but i think part of japanese tattooing especially and to an extent american traditional it's a place to lose your ego yeah there's yeah I don't know. but there's <laughs> but there's room to do your own thing with that too and i feel like you do but it's still recognizable. I mean, obviously you could blow the roof off of it and go wild, but right. I, I mean, I think it's, you've made a choice where you're working within parameters um, yeah. and kind of just like doing, you know, stretching it here and there from there. And I think that's exciting. I think working within a set of rules can spawn a lot of things that may, uh, that you may not encounter otherwise. Totally. You know, the Japanese uh, have a, Horiyoshi talked about this thing called um, Shuhari, have you heard of that? Yeah, like big, like being the expert, or yeah, like I, the way that I understand it best, like shu is that you study the masters. Yeah. Ha is that you reinterpret the masters. Yeah. And then re is you, like your reimagination of it, and you're bringing it to life in your own way, which yeah. I think can only happen through it transferring through your body. You're gonna make it into your own thing. Right. I just don't want to be 70 by the time I'm doing my re, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you got to provide yourself the the space to be creative on paper, on canvas in in places where it doesn't matter, but it's really hard to break from that rigidity of it has, I have to do a clean line. It has to connect. It has to yeah. be this to a place where none of that matters. You can actually just throw paint around and yeah. see what looks good and make shapes out of things. Yeah. I think the biggest progression I've had in my drawing, because uh, I'm an iPad guy. I love an iPad. <laughs> and I think that I've actually progressed in my drawing a lot and I draw differently. Um, I, I'm basically doing like a super loose sketch and then I'm like painting it. And then I like refine it and make the line drawing after. Because a lot of times I felt like I would be doing tattoos like pre iPad where I'm just like sketching in red pencil and layers and layers of tracing paper. And then I get my pen line drawing. And even if I have like a plan for the shading and the color and stuff, there were often times where I wished I had had the foresight for how something was going to end up. Like, you know, if like there's an area that's like more black than you wanted it to be, or you kind of like bulldoze some detail that you really wanted to be more, more, um, like intense in the design just because the, I didn't have the foresight when I was just seeing the line drawing of it. So to do like a more fully rendered thing on an iPad is very easy and fast or, you know, faster than actually doing a, a proper painting for every tattoo. Um, but I feel like it's helped me get a lot more of like a plan and 
but it also let I do feel a little bit more free to like make the mistake or make not the right thing, kind of just like shave a shape down after the fact or whatever, and actually see it in more of its final form. Totally. And I feel a lot more confident going into to tattooing stuff that may I like subject matter maybe I'm not as familiar with, or even stuff that I am familiar with. It's I'm yeah. able to like push it a little further. Yeah, it makes it more into almost like sculpting because you're totally. giving something a form. I've I've noticed that for myself. That helps a lot rather than just drawing with lines, but uh yeah. I'm a pen and paper guy more, but you know, like using a light colored marker, like a Tombow and blocking out shapes and drawing yeah. the mass of it and then going in and, and making the line drawings have been yeah. helpful. So how, how many days a week are you tattooing? I'm tattooing five days a week. All right. Right. This month I'm tattooing four days a week. Cause I try to give myself some time to do podcast stuff because I've been getting back on it, which has been nice. But yeah, I'm still as full-time as I ever was. So how is it for you managing your relationship at home with your wife and then having your own shop and then doing the podcast and maybe you have other interests as well? Yeah. Uh, I mean, time management has never been my strong suit, but as as far as with my wife goes, we're, we've we're in a hit a good stride. We've been together a long time. Um, how long we've been together over 10 years now. Um, but we've been married for over four, I guess at this point. But, um, I don't know. The last year has been interesting. Um, you hear about people who are ending relationships after the quarantine stuff. Cause it really, it, it kind of changed the parameters for a lot of people and their relationships and their home life and stuff. But I, I'm, glad that it seemed to kind of only strengthen my relationship with my wife through all that. Um, so it's actually been a, a great year in terms of that. Um, it's just like going through something with someone instead of like repelling each other because we've been around each other more than ever. Um, I think we kind of saw it like we're, we're in all this shit together and, and we've been through so much anyway, but this was just so different and so life altering um, that we, I think we leaned into each other a lot and it's had a, really positive effect on that so that's great yeah it's a relief because i've seen it go the other way for some clients and friends and stuff yeah lately. man fuck and i get it I, I mean it makes sense you know it's tough it's tough because everything has changed for a bit yeah man what a hard year it's been such a hard year for everybody i know and it's it feels like such a cliche to say it i try not to talk about it but who gives a fuck it's true it's like it's cliche because it's true for everybody yeah i was in a uber yesterday and we were stuck in traffic and the guy just the driver just sounded so down and it was the first time that i said man it's been a really hard year to somebody and i was like well fucking hey that's so true it's been and it's not just for us in the united states it's across the entire fucking world right yeah never has this happened in our lifetime where something has affected every single person in the world yeah um, it's so nice to see some parts of life coming back. Like I, I was in Denver a week or two ago and I got to go eat dinner in a restaurant and I was like, Oh my fuck. I can't believe how much amazing. I missed this. It felt so good. It's amazing. But it feels like you're uh like if you go out to eat, you know, like don't want to tell everybody cause you don't know how they're going to react. It's like not telling someone that you do drugs or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been nice here too because we always kind of like come out of the winter and everyone's in better spirits and, and it's like 
sunny. It's like in the fifties here today. And, and people are like, Ooh, like, you know, coming out of that freeze. So that coupled with the fact that we're like kind of seeing a little light towards the end of the tunnel of all this stuff mm -hmm. as people are getting vaccinated and stuff, it's like double time. People are fucking pumped and it's yeah. nice. It's just, it feels good that people are collectively feeling better. Totally. God, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so you, what is your day? Like, what does a normal day look like for you? What time you wake up? Uh, I try to wake up by seven thirty. I do all my drawing for the day in the morning, and unless I have something that's really going to take me longer, then I try to get a head start on it. But I, I have a hard time. I've been so busy since we reopened last summer, busier than I've ever been, and so I'm I'm finding new challenges and trying to keep up with it all, but also still enjoy it and not hate my life every day, and also still giving all the people that want to get tattooed by me the best case scenario too so it's been kind of a challenge to fine-tune that but i like it because it, it feels like growth all around um so i wake up and i do my drawings for a couple hours eat some breakfast my my wife's working from home now forever so that's kind of cool we can like can make her breakfast or she'll make breakfast we get to i get to see her because it used to be she would be gone before i even woke up in the mornings because she has like a real job quote unquote what does she do um, she works at a background screening company, so she like digs up dirt on people's criminal records and all that stuff. She's she's like a hacker, but not like a hacker, <laughs> not, not a hacker at all, actually. But that's how I picture her with all of her screens and she's like digging on people. But so that's like a Monday through Friday, nine to five kind of job. Um, so I would only really see her when I got home from the shop. And um, now I see her in the morning. So that's cool. So do my drawings, I head to the shop. I usually start at 11 o'clock and I work till about seven. Then I come home, we have some supper, take the dogs out, you know, just normal people shit, but it's like the same thing all the time, kind of. Yeah. Which I like, I like the routine of it. Um, but yeah, it's nice to shake it up. Now that, now that we're forced to work by appointment, I don't miss walk-ins. <laughs> I don't miss all that stuff that I used to feel guilty if I'm like, finish my appointments an hour early. I used to feel guilty about going home early. Because what if someone comes in? Well, right. what if what if two people come in? What if one of my clients wants to come in and talk about a thing? Like I just wouldn't leave. Yeah. But, but I'm I've gotten more comfortable with that, and I think that's okay. I don't. Yeah. Like the, totally. the, the world will go on. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely will. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out how I can delegate things that I don't like in my life to other people. Yeah like procedural I, stuff that I don't need to do myself. Someone else can do it. And if I have to hire someone to do it, then so be it. Totally. I, I miss having people to help. <laughs> Assistants yeah. are so amazing. They, they make everything so much easier. They really do. So you do all your own scheduling and no, I've, no. I've had an assistant for the last two years. Awesome. She quit yesterday. Oh no, <laughs> not awesome. It's terrible. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It's bad because she, she was phenomenal. She was absolutely phenomenal. And um, yeah, it's a bummer. So I, I was kind of left scrambling, but I've, I've got a new person. I've already started training with today, an old friend. So I don't have to like go through all the, like meeting a new person and stuff. It's someone that we're comfortable with each other. We can communicate well. Um, it's actually my friend Carly who got me my job my first tattoo shop job so it's like kind of feels like a full circle moment in a way awesome. uh, but she already does she doesn't work at the shop anymore but she does like remote work anyway so it's kind of perfect for her lifestyle and, and everything but yeah hiring someone to do your booking is the smartest thing any tattooer could do yeah 
And then will she help with the podcast and stuff too? Or is that all, do you do all that stuff on your own? Maybe down the line. Typically I do everything, but um, the thing I hate most about the podcast, about my podcast is dealing with the sponsor stuff. Cause that's like the business side of it. So that's not fun. That's not creative. That's not like talking to cool tap people. Um, so in the past, I had my previous assistant working with um, doing all that stuff and it made it a lot easier. And I felt like they probably had a better experience too, because she was attentive to communications and stuff. Whereas I let things go for too long and that's always the problem with everything. Yeah. And, and so you said you're not a very schedule orientated person. You don't, you don't, so you don't have like a set morning routine or you're not much like that. Nothing. I mean, it's the same all the time, but I don't have like a, a sequence of things that happen. Right. I'm kind of like, like I'll hit snooze 15 times. I'll try to <laughs> avoid starting my work. And the fact that my work day starts the second that I like start drawing at home, which is usually pretty soon after I get up, I definitely try to put it off as long as I can to avoid the reality of my work day starting at like 7.45 and <laughs> continuing to 7 p.m. or later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. But that's my own problem I'm trying to break. It's not a good habit. What, the snooze or the... <laughs> yeah, because I really ignore structure in a point where it's not always the best. You know, it can kind of slow me down a bit. So, I, I mean, people say that discipline is the ultimate freedom or whatever. I'm sure there's a more specific quote that somebody important said, but, but it's true. And I'm trying to focus in on that a little bit more. Yeah. I, I never, and I was the most undisciplined person in the world. Like I, I mean, always, and I've over the past maybe five or six years, I started to incorporate some daily routines, like morning routines and and started to kind of structure my days and there is some freedom in it, but it also like Miranda, my girlfriend would say, no, it's not, it's not free at all. Like I'm kind of locked into these, these projects, but. Well, how do you I feel get, about it though? How does the structure do for you? I get a feeling that if I, so I know that I have to do certain things a day. So like, I like to meditate every day. I like to write three pages of uh, morning pages or like a journal. And then I'll do four pages, work for like four pages on my book. And then if I have some other stuff I'm working on, if I have a list and I can check it off, then when I'm done with those things, I know that the rest of the day is cool. Like I'm free. I can, I can do whatever I want and I don't have to feel like I'm avoiding anything. Whereas before all those things just existed in my head and I really never got around to any of them. I was a master of right. nailing nails in halfway and stopping. I that, can relate to that for sure. Yeah. And I, I do like the feeling of like, uh, of power and control that I can actually bring these things to creation. And I know that it makes me feel better. Cause if I don't, if I'm not doing these things, I get really toxic. I feel like shit. I act like shit. I, because you feel like you're letting yourself down. Yeah. There was a, there was a moment in Costa Rica where I was just, uh, it was a great place to settle and, and to have time to think about what it was that I wanted to do, but it was really hard to do anything there outside of tattooing. But I just had this really distinct feeling that I wasn't living up to my potential and that it was all building up inside of me and it was getting really toxic, which is one of the reasons that I was just feeling like shit and that I needed to let these things out and I needed to live with some sense of purpose. And I had been given these gifts and I hadn't been using them in the best way. So 
and now those those have turned around into that I want to contribute some good. I feel like tattooing has been you get to make people happy, but there's no altruism in it. There's no there's nothing outside of ourselves in it. And I really wanted some way to contribute to a connectivity or positivity. And so now all of my work is kind of in that direction. So it's bigger than what it is or how I make it. It's more important why I'm doing it. And that gives me a lot of purpose. So I feel good about the scheduling. <laughs> yeah. Does it feel like it's an obsession sometimes? Uh I feel like because I'm 43 and I'm probably about halfway through my life if I'm lucky. So it feels more like an urgency that I I lost a good 20 years to, well, didn't lose. I had great experiences. I got to see the world. I, I had great relationships. But in terms of creativity, I didn't use it as well as I could have. And I feel like I, I want to make a purpose to do that with the time I have left. Yeah. yeah. So when you got to the point where, see, I'm, I, feel, I feel like I'm interviewing now, so I'm sorry for like taking over. <laughs> but when you got to the point where you really identified that by you not doing all these things, it became toxic. And like when you really got to the point where you identified it and believed it, what was the first step that you took to making the change for yourself? Well, nothing. Nothing really, I I did an art show in Costa Rica, which was really fun. And I did that and I said, I'm gonna do an art show. And I did it in two or three months, which was cool. But it wasn't really until my wife and uh, Julie and I split up. And then I had to kind of get to terms with myself that I finally started working on this book that I'm writing with a, with a real sense of uh, commitment and it wasn't really until I, that was the, kind of the main reason I moved back to the States was because here I could do anything that I can think I can do there. Everything was exponentially more difficult. I couldn't, everything was difficult. So yeah. here I can, I can bring anything to life and it's already starting like connections and uh, you know, different, different projects. So I think one of the most significant things is just, coming up with the why of why, of why I wanted to do these things and having some sense of meaning to it. How do you like making the podcast so far? It's been great, man. It's been really rewarding. Uh, you know, I've been writing the book for fucking the past year and it's a really long, laborious, lonely, drudge, like just drudging along process. But with... The podcast, I get the joy of having the conversation yeah, personally, and then I get to share it with people and know that it's putting some, some good out there and get the reaction to that. And that feels really good. And uh, yeah, it feels, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about, about doing it. It's, it's definitely different from the, the isolating nature of making art or, you know, making the things that we do typically, I mean, with tattooing, we're lucky that it, that it is like a two person job, you know, we need the client and then ourselves. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a, it's a different vibe and it's, it's a good, for me, it was a good thing to like force myself to be sociable with people or, or force myself to reach or have a reason to reach out to somebody. 
Um, cause a lot of people, especially at the beginning, they were people I didn't know. And for whatever reason, whether it's the, the audience I had built from dressing up like a goofball and making silly videos. So people at least just like recognize my name on the internet enough that they trusted me to be on the podcast or, or, you know, now it seems like so many people are familiar with the podcast that it makes it easy to get people within tattooing to be willing to come on the show, which is so awesome. Yeah. And I feel like I don't have to beg people. I don't have to like make my case. People are like, Oh yeah, cool. My, my friend was on it. Or oh, yeah, I, I listen or whatever. And it, it gets easier as you like start peeling back the layers with other people. And I don't know, it's, it feels good. And for me, it's made me feel like I have a place in tattooing. And yeah. I think for, for my confidence, which I think is my biggest issue and, and probably many people's biggest issue, it's done a lot for me. Yeah. It, it allows you to have a voice, which is great. And especially if confidence is an issue, it gives you a room to, to use that voice and, and learn how to use it the way that you want to. Yeah. Um, I've always been quiet. Like I'd, I'll, I'll be the one who's like listening in a room and, but I'm not like into uh, astrology a lot, but I am a Leo. So I do love love and I love the attention too. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting dichotomy, I guess, between wanting to sit back, but also I want to be loved. <laughs> totally. And I think that's brave even just to admit it, you know? Yeah. Well, doing this podcast, I I say so much personal stuff to strangers all the time and I feel completely comfortable. And maybe it's, I think about the shit all the time. So like, I don't know, I don't want to ramble too much on any one thing, but um, I was thinking the other day about that because I just put out an episode today with Nico Hurtado, who was a complete stranger to me until I called him on FaceTime. And I felt like we, we got into like, there was one part where we really spoke candidly about um, kind of how the, the pandemic and the shutdown affected us and how it's kind of squashed some creativity and we're like digging out of the hole a little bit. And we kind of related on that point. Um, and I just thought that like to think back three or four years to think that I would be talking like that about my own shit to a stranger, let alone someone who I've like, you know, he's like a big name in tattooing. He's someone who I've like looked up to as like a pillar of tattooing. You know, the way he tattoos isn't the way that I aspire to tattoo, but he's like one of those big name people. Um, it's just kind of crazy to think that that's become comfortable. But I think the reality of it is it's like in Fight Club, the, what do they say? The like single service friends or whatever. Like you meet someone <laughs> and you, you can talk to them on the airplane and, and like tell them anything and there's no consequence because they don't know your boss. They don't know your, your terrible spouse or whatever, you know, whoever you're complaining about or whatever right. your, your hangup is. And I feel like in the podcast, it's kind of like that where for whatever reason we get on these things together and we can be totally open with each other and feel no consequence and feel better. You know, it's beneficial. Like I'm going to come out of the conversation and feel better uh, for talking to you today. Um, but I do with my clients too. And maybe sometimes too much, um, you know, you don't want to make it uncomfortable, but I I'm perfectly comfortable telling uh, very personal details in my life to my customer, you know, within reason, obviously, mm -hmm. but and I love it. And then they do it too. And it builds such a trust right off the bat. And it's kind of a crazy thing. And then I'll never talk to them again, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's so much power and vulnerability or not like personal power and vulnerability. 
And yeah. especially in today's age where everybody's presenting the best versions of themselves, the best angles of themselves, that we forget that we're frail fucking people trying to figure out how to live our lives yeah. on this really complicated planet and these really complicated times where people's reactions are so important to us and we forget that we it that we're kind of meant to struggle it strong struggle a company's progress like for me i fucking had performance anxiety after i split up with my first wife i had such a hard time getting hard i would be in these amazing situations like in peru with this fucking beautiful girl and my body would be betraying me and i was so ashamed of it for mm. i just felt deep-seated shame and it made me scared to go into any relationship and it really it it lasted for so long but now i can talk about it and i know that i'm not alone in that situation i know that there's plenty of people that go through that for multitudes of reasons but i don't i'm not ashamed of it and it feels so good to not be ashamed for having human experiences for making mistakes for being damaged for being hopeful you become a, a prisoner in your own mind and it's, it's so just, easy it will only amplify the more that you let yourself go down that road yeah it, it's it's almost like we're we're so obsessed with trying to um make sure that nobody finds us out that totally. nobody that yeah. nobody sees our ruse but the reality is most people probably can see through it anyway like like I know if I have a, an insecurity about something, like it's probably pretty apparent. And I think that maybe I'm like skirting one by the goalie real quick and it's all good. And maybe, you know, maybe we do in, in, in different situations or whatever. But I think for the most part, uh, people can see through that a lot. I think people can see that there's something, something holding someone back or that there's something that is affecting the way that somebody relates to people. I think somebody would be have to be really well tuned to be able to pinpoint what those specific things might be. Mm -hmm. But I I do agree that people can see you, you can know, see that, that something is up. Like yeah. like the front that we put up in different scenarios, it's not as bulletproof as we would like to think it is. Right. Yeah. And I it does seem like being being honest and being transparent to whatever extent suits a person is valuable now because nobody can get you when it's all out there it's like eminem and eight mile yeah <laughs> i haven't seen that in a long time i just remember the mom spaghetti part but i you know yeah sure. <laughs> but there's a scene he's in a rap battle and uh and then you know somebody's gonna say that he's a white boy his mom's addicted to drugs and he so just says it all before him and yeah there's that 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 power in that I mean, you can see that a lot in, in people and like through watching YouTube, you can, you can, it's like a, a display of human nature in a lot of ways, or it's like a display of how people are. And it's so interesting to watch people who are really trying to mimic and put up this, like, you know, like the highlight reel of their life, because that's what, like you said, a lot of people who are making stuff for the internet, like that's all that they're trying to curate is like this perfect life, whether they're like a family vlogger or like a fucking golf pro, like anything. And they're trying to just make it seem that they're perfect because they don't want to be judged. They want to feel like they're, you know, valued in the space that they value. And they want to um, be, they want to sell 
this version of themselves so that they can make something off of it. Yeah. Right. Right. And everyone's got different motivations, obviously. Um, but you can see that where people will like do the M&M thing, but not in a confident way. <laughs> and it's like, it's a bummer because you wish that they could just see it for what it is. And maybe I key into noticing that because I, I try to see it in myself, but it's like, if someone's on the camera and they're like real weird about like how they show themselves or like the angle or whatever. And they're like, you know, making little comment, you know, putting themselves down. Oh, you know, I'm like kind of fat or like, you know, stuff that's like at the core of us that, that can like shake our self image and, you know, very basic stuff. It's just so apparent, but they're not doing it to be like Eminem. Right. They're not like, you know, my it's boy, my man, whatever, whatever, because he owned it, I'm sure, in that moment. Um, I don't even know what my point is with this, it's, but it's, it's, it, I try to not, I guess my point is that just being so open, uh, it does feel better because then what can anybody say that you don't already know? And it, it takes the power away from judgment, maybe. Yeah. And, and isn't that what the biggest fear is for a lot of us? Yeah, totally. Being pushed out of the circle where yeah. you know you're vulnerable out when you're out when you're pushed outside of the circle i was just thinking with what you were just saying about those people saying you know concerned about the the angle the angle of the camera or, or putting themselves down i think there's a difference between being comfortable and vulnerable and expressing your life experience and having a habit of negative self-talk and having like your inner voice telling you that you are are not good and voicing that you know like in comedy so much of comedy is based in self-deprecation yes but there's confidence in that self-deprecation whereas if somebody is down and they're saying those same things that's like a, a key into their insight of like they don't value themselves they since they were a kid they've you know just never thought they were good enough so yeah. there's it, it is a, a interesting line between those two things i guess yeah and i feel like i do both of them so <laughs> it's 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 weird to think that those things can exist in the same person at the same time yeah so as, as someone that's really out there but uh you know i think it takes a lot of vulnerability to put yourself out there with the podcast to put your videos out there because you open yourself up to people's opinions. And I noticed my first episode of the podcast I put out, somebody put two star review on the fucking Apple thing. <laughs> there were like four reviews and one of them was two stars. And I was like, what is that? Cool. I got a ton of great messages, but those two stars really hit me for, you know, a way more than I wanted them to. Right. Cause you're just like doing this cool, fun, positive thing. And you're like, wait a second, I have to like <laughs> deal with this kind of shit too now. And that's like, <laughs> right. So you, you open yourself up and I I'm very conscious of the fact that when we get positive feedback, it makes us feel good. When we get negative feedback, it makes us feel negative. Feels really bad. <laughs> right. So what, how have you, how have you navigated that in terms of, you know, really putting your yourself out there and opening yourself up to people's opinions and voices yeah. that's a good question because it's a tough it's a tough thing even though i felt like i feel like i'm pretty lucky in that i don't get a ton of negative surprisingly um or if i do it's a type of negative that i can identify as something that's like 
so clearly, and maybe this ties into what I was talking about before, about being able to identify somebody's insecurity by the way they like put themselves down or whatever. If you put out an hour podcast and someone takes a little 30 second piece, like a, a little part of the conversation and they focus in on it so hard to shit down your open mouth and to tell you that you're worthless and you're fucking stupid for thinking this and you're stupid for fucking saying it and this show is shit, it used to be better, your guests are fucking bullshit, I wish you would get this person on instead. That's the kind of like negative feedback I get. And maybe I'm even the, the way I just spoke that back shows how negatively I read stuff like that. And maybe that's not even always the case. But a lot of times, especially on YouTube comments, which are the worst on the internet, oh my God, it's because brutal. it's like the most faceless place that you can interact because you there's like no tie to your personal being if you don't want there to be at all. Um but you can like key on key in on why people are reacting that way. And it's so clearly their own fucking problem that they're like, but to, and even though it's a negative comment, I kind of like that. I was able to put something out that would like resonated with them so much, even if in that moment it made them consider their own shit or their own discomfort, whether they realized it or not so much that they had to come on and make a fake account and tell me I'm shit. My show sucks. Right. So it's like a lot of the negative, you can kind of just like, wash out like it's not going to affect you but there's like you know you definitely get stuff because you and it's more about people judging the stuff that i'm making in in the way it if someone's like you're fucking stupid you're fucking <laughs> yeah, like your fucking glasses are stupid dude your tattoos are fucking dumb like whatever like you whatever that's no big deal but yeah, when, when you really put your heart into making something and someone picks it apart and especially if it's something that you already see yourself like oh i should have tightened up that spot you know i, I could have edited this a little tighter it would have been nicer maybe i should have asked this after and not let that person off the hook and then the first comments like fucking boring <laughs> and i'm like damn it because because it, it's like again i try to slip one past the goalie but like you know people know so that's the kind of stuff that gets me bummed but it's not like going to tear me apart at, at my right. core um but i i think at first it was an interesting thing with the feedback because all I was putting out before the podcast was the videos where I was only ever like a character. I was never myself in a public way on the internet other than like posting my own tattoos on my, my stuff forever. Um, but as far as like me being on camera, me speaking, it was never me up until the podcast. So if somebody, I got a lot of negative reactions to those, but that was kind of the point. Right. So all the negative was actually like a double positive because it means that someone thought that I was real. Right. So it's like I made such a convincing satire to to like a non-discerning viewer that they thought it was a real documentary and they're so triggered by it, which is exactly <laughs> the point of all of the details I ever included in them. Exactly. So I was kind of like impervious at that point. I never got a comment that I thought was bad. Yeah, because any because it bad wasn't about me. It was a good comment. Yeah. So I, I think starting to do the podcast, I realized quickly that it was a more vulnerable position to be in because now I am myself and I'm opening myself for judgment the same right. way to the same fucking ass wipes and good people online. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, it's pretty good. I mean, I don't have such a massive audience that like people that get multiple millions of views, everything they post, like that's insane feedback that that a person right. has to like take in or not. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty manageable up until up until you have a massive following or massive audience that has all these expectations and they're going to constantly judge you on it. 
Right. I feel like in some small way, as any creative person, whatever whatever we're putting out, whether it's tattoos or or interviews or paintings, fucking fabric work, textiles, anything. Yeah. You know, as a as a creative person, you're putting it out there and you're hoping to share it with people to get some some reaction or some feedback or you know i think that and to share it because you have to share something kind of for it to come to life or else it's just existing it's a new thing that we share it online with a ton of people that we don't know but art always had to go out into the world to kind of come to life yeah but i think you know any of us that are doing that there's some level of us sharing a part of ourselves with people and whether we want to admit it or not, I would assume for a lot of us, we're hoping for a response. And when we don't get it, even if there's no feedback, that too is a response and that can feel crappy. And then you look at somebody that you respect and they're getting like, I don't know, 3000 likes on a photograph of something. And it's really hard in this day and age for us not to compare ourselves to everybody else and how beautiful their lives look. And I don't know, I just kind of want to say that I think I think we all feel that in some way. And some yeah. people are maybe blessed and cursed in the fact that they get a ton of feedback and that feels good too. But I, I'm, I'm sure that it affects the way that we view ourselves, even if it's in a, min, a minuscule way, that it has some impact on the way that we are living our lives and basing so much of our self-worth and people's reactions. And Yeah. Do you think that how easy it is to give and get feedback is like squashing creativity for a lot of people? Because, I mean, you can look at it both sides. People can get super encouraged, and that can be a great thing for for a creative person to feel supported and uh, appreciated, obviously. But then there's the other side of the negative, which can just totally take someone off the path totally. Right. Like, you know, someone could make some dance videos, whatever they're into. They post it up people shit on it for whatever fucking reason and they never do it again even though they yeah. loved making it they felt great about it so to think back to before that there was like a comment section under every fucking thing we do i mean as far as stuff we put out online it's hard to tell if it's overall good or overall bad or like what like how to where where are the scales it's Which probably in tip? the middle I, I think it's probably more of a gray. I've felt it for myself. Like it's really, it's become a lot harder to work on something without thinking of it as a, a finished project that I want to share or will I be able to sell this? Will I be able to get a good reaction to this? Whereas before any of that existed, there was just a pure joy of making something. And yeah. maybe, you know, and then it would, you would, try to find an avenue for it to come to life. You'd try to get it on a wall where somebody could see it, or even just put it in your own house and people see it when they come over. Or, you know, you would do your tattoo and you would take a photograph of it on film and they would leave and you wouldn't see the tattoo again. You'd see the tattoo in a couple of weeks and that that will never come back. I don't think, and unless somebody fucking take some really extreme efforts to to avoid all of it which I did for a, a little bit I deleted my Instagram after a couple of years with I don't remember how many followers I had because I was sick of the influence and I was sick of being I felt like I was diluted and I I didn't even know what my own voice was anymore 
and then realized, well, fuck, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You gotta play the game now. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that it it definitely has an effect on on people's creativity. It has an effect on people's uh, ability to focus on the thing that they're making without having the thought of how it will be received, which has always been a thing, but it's different now than it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, um, cause all the issues that stem in this situation, it's all our own, it's all in our own head, how it affects us. Mm-hmm. So what if we were to just not look at that stuff? Like you can still be online, you can still be putting stuff up, but what if you would, what if we just didn't look at the response? So there's, I, I have started to pay less attention to it. I, I thought if I pay, if that two star review with no, just two stars, no, no note or anything. They didn't even say anything. Oh man. If, Maybe they hit that, it by accident. <laughs> if that, if that had an effect on me, that means that I have to let all of the positive stuff have an effect on me too. Or, you know, that if this has an effect on me, then this also should have an effect on me. And instead I'm trying, it feels good to get good feedback and it feels great to know that what you're doing is connecting with people. But what I'm trying to do is to take all of it as, as one thing and to realize that none of it has anything to do with the purpose that I'm making. I'm making it because I have to, and I'm making it because I want to put out and I want to contribute to the good. If somebody takes it for good or somebody takes it for bad, that has really nothing to do with me. Once I send it out there, once I put it out there, that isn't up to me anymore. Is the only thing that's up to me is that I do the best job that I can do and I know that why I'm doing it and after that it's not mine you know maybe we just need to focus more on the fact that anything creative that we're making is supposed to get a, a array of response if it doesn't get any it's reaction actually- then you're not making anything that has uh, but then you blame it on the algorithm. Who gives a shit? Right. <laughs> but that's but that, valid too. Yeah. Because right now, uh, every like everyone's interactions down. Like you get less likes, you get less comments on stuff, and that's not our fault. But we're still basing our fucking worth of ourselves and what we're making on that. And in, and that is, in essence, a business choice on Instagram's part. They're trying to get up interactions by pushing other things that aren't photos and 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 you know putting more weight in other things. And that's something that we can play the game for. And, and actually that's something that's made me feel better about internet shit is that I just really look at it as a game. And then it kind of makes it fun when you detach yeah. your own self-worth in your own eyes away from like, oh, that got half as many likes as I normally do. It's not because I'm a dumbass. It's because I fucking, you know, it's because I played the game wrong and now right. I learned something. <laughs> and so I think that definitely helps, but I mean, you can't please everybody. And no. I think I've tried for too long to please everybody just in in general but especially like with with my podcast and with other things i i want to please people but you can't please everybody and if that starts to stifle parts of you because you don't want to do the wrong thing then i think then you shouldn't do that it's okay if people don't like something you do totally i was talking to claudia to solve about it about you know the kind of cancel culture and and how there's a fear now of expressing whatever, you know, what whatever conflicting ideas you might have. 
Yeah. And I think especially as you put your voice out there more, you become more aware of the fact that you open yourself up to people's reactions. And I was saying that I, I know that I'm, I am not a divisive person at all. I, I'm a very, I want, I want to bring connection. I'm empathetic. I'm, I'm a loving, caring person. Never want to say anything that's going to, but there's some things that I don't understand about, you know, the current state of affairs. I think that the right and the left are going so far away from each other that nobody can even have a conversation. I think that that's really sad. Like we need to be able to talk to one another. Um, But if you're at that extreme, you can't listen. It seems like you, you know, you're so locked into your ideology that you can't open yourself up to people not agreeing with you in a hundred percent certainty. And that too, I think takes uh, a level of self-acceptance and, and knowing yourself and knowing that, okay, this is, this is an honest question. This is an honest idea or thought and people might not agree with it, but I know that it is, that there's nothing bad in it or evil in it or, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I see a lot of that stuff too as a product of all the same shit of of how the internet is and it, it can egg people on whether it's in how they respond to something that they disagree with or how they put out an idea that they have and, and maybe it, it comes out in a more extreme way because it gets more reaction. Because the more extreme voices are the ones that are getting the most reaction because as far as an algorithm works in social media, those will get the most engagement. So they're going to get pushed and fucking blown up to the moon. Um, and I think that can encourage people to get more and more extreme in their their own posts, the way that they talk about stuff and the way they react to things yeah. for, for better or worse. And I listened to a podcast, I think New York Times made it. I wish I knew what it was called off the top of my head, but they like traced back um, how a guy went from being like, pretty liberal just kind of like an average in the middle type of person but definitely more towards liberal than anything to like a very like conservative right wing but like not in the classic sense in like the new age kind of gnarly sense and they he shared with them his youtube history for like the previous five years or something and they could trace it about like what things happened and they could see the evolution of thought that he had and the things he started watching and the way he was like really watching certain things at a certain point. And it was super interesting how it's as simple as that can completely change the way you feel about something. Yeah. And it, it's also a really amazing thing that we can learn so much and we can feel like we're part of something so much that it changes our entire way of thinking. But it's also like, that's a big responsibility. And there isn't anyone that's like watching any, you know, there's, there's no one like, okay, I've got 20 people. I need to make sure they're not going off the deep end with what they're watching on YouTube. It's just, it's a free for all. Like, you know, there's no, there's no lifeguard in this stuff. And then at a certain point, the guy in the podcast just snapped out of it. And I think it, he saw, because there's all these like right-wing, uh, commentator people that are on YouTube and they get a good following because they are very, I mean, they're extreme, just like either side, right. you know, has the ability to be, um, and they have very defined opinions and it's like very no nonsense. Some of them are funny. Some of them are handsome. Some of them are beautiful women. Some of them are, you know, whatever it is that draws us to, to clicking on that little thumbnail for the first time. And then you're like, well, you know, they kind of have a point. 
And that's when you're, you're super open to wherever they take you next, because someone could say something that is like not super sensational. And then before you know it, you're like down a crazy thing and you don't realize it because you like trust, you trust this person because you liked a couple of things that they said. Um, but yeah, the whole, I don't know. The, the cancel culture thing is tough to talk about, but I think a lot of people mix up what it actually is. And a lot of people that detest it don't realize that there are certain things that people need to be accountable for. Um, but, you know, I tend to agree with the fact that we're, if we're like jumping down people's throat and trying to ruin their lives because they said the wrong thing, like saying something and doing something are two different things. And I know there's yeah, a lot a of, good. there's a lot of subtlety in every situation. So like, I can't even make a blanket statement on it right yeah. now because it's all case by case. But I think to just detest it all and to dismiss everything as cancel culture is not doing yourself or anyone a favor either. Right. And I'm a person who's, you know, I, it all makes me uncomfortable too. Cause I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to upset somebody and I don't want to feel like people to think that uh, I'm not on a certain page that I feel that I want to be on. So right. it's, it's tricky. It is tricky. And I, I do worry about the more, the more I put myself out online, who knows, because people's thoughts change. And even the podcast I made two years ago, you could, there's probably something in it that somebody might not like now and nobody had a problem with it two years ago, but now it's like a mortal right. sin. So it's, it's a little scary. My, my girlfriend just walked in. Sorry. <laughs> she's, she's wearing heels. So she doesn't want to. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Tiptoeing through the room. <laughs> Man, it was so interesting being so far removed from it all, like being in Costa Rica and, and watching all of it happen from afar, watching the, the states grow more and more and more polarized. Yeah. <clears throat> and then uh, when George Floyd happened, I just felt so disconnected. And I realized for the first time that I was part of the states. I never thought I was going to live here again, but I was like, nope, there's no denying it. I am, this is my country. And uh, so I wanted to come back and be a part of it. Not to be like an activist or anything, even though I had incredibly strong reaction to that horrible experience, but I did want to be part of the dialogue. I wanted to be part of uh, what was happening. But then when I, I got, and I, I got in conversations with some, with a tattooer who thought, systematic racism was bullshit that there was no you know no saying that any of that had anything to do with racism and we started to talk and at a certain point i was like i was interested in the conversation and i it made me hot like i had a, a real reaction to it because i felt so different i started wondering how we were supposed to have this conversation because i believed that the conversation was valuable we should be able to talk to each other with differing ideas but then i started thinking like okay but what about you know, uh, segregation, segregation. If you were on the side of, it, of history that believe in segregation, you were on the wrong side of history, which is how I think this would be going to. And what was the purposes of having a conversation with somebody that was on the side of segregation? And at what point does the dialogue stop because you are absolutely opposed to one another's point of view? So I had to do some research. So I found this great book called, uh, the Righteous Mind, How Politics and Religion Separate Good People. And it, it, it helped a lot about what makes somebody lean right, what makes somebody lean left, how that changes across the globe in different countries. But what I never realized with the, 
it's a right wing and a left wing. If one gets too heavy, then it can't fly. So we do need each other. And these extremes that we're all going in are too far in the, in the opposite direction. And hopefully some of it is, has something to do with COVID and the internet and our time alone. But I think YouTube, like what you were saying, YouTube and everybody having a voice and that voice being held as truth, whereas before there were journalistic ethics involved in what was reported. We're in a really fucking weird place as a society. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And and it actually ties back to where this conversation started. And I I learned so much from making the goofy YouTube videos I made because I saw how easy it is to deceive somebody. I saw how easy it is to make somebody believe something that is not real at all, if that's what you want to do. And I wasn't even trying to do it. And it happens continually still for years. Yeah. And I think that has definitely shaped my outlook on everything and especially this stuff, you know, outside of tattooing, just like day-to-day -day life and how things are in the country and the world. And it's interesting to look through it through that lens because you can really at least understand a little bit or try to break down where people are coming from. And, and that has made me, I don't know, I try to be open to hearing stuff I'm definitely not a kind of person who if I hear something conflicting to my own opinion, I'm going to like freak out and I'm going to scream at them and I'm going to try to change their mind because I don't think that that's ever going to happen. Right. And I don't even know if, because people call for unity, I don't know if unity is even the answer because it's not realistic. We need to, I don't know. There has to be a way that we can coexist and it seems like we used to do it better than we do now, but maybe that's not even the case either because there's always, uh, been, there's always been people who detest a person different than them. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's so, it's such a massive thing to even wrap your head around that I feel like, even though I've now spent a lot of time self reflecting and trying to figure out exactly where I stand on it and try to prepare myself for a conversation like this so I can actually like articulate what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking, it never works because there's just so much. Yeah. And, and it's tough. It, it, but it is good to talk about it. But I don't know if I ever even really, I don't know how much I get out of it. Like sometimes I have customers that just say dumb shit and I'll say, well, you know, but maybe if it's like, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of say how I feel about it, but like just as a suggestion and some people will interact with it and some don't. Um, but I guess that's, that's what it's all about is like not being afraid to like put your little stamp on it or more. I don't think you need to, I mean, I've got friends who write on their stories, if you do this, or if you don't do this, then you're racist and I don't want your fucking money. You can just unfollow me and fuck off. And I totally get that, but I, I don't personally approach it that way. Yeah. I understand I the feeling. And I think if that's someone, that's the, the clientele that they want to curate for themselves and they want to draw that line in the sand, totally cool. I think it's great that we can do that. Yeah. Um, but you got to think about, is that the most, is that the most effective strategy? I don't know. Well, I don't think it is. Cause then it, it cuts off. Dialogue. It takes the and bullshit out of their life. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. It does take, the, and it allows, it allows a person to take a stance and that is important. 
there's but is the stance just performative or not and that's like the whole other conversation it what it's also super interesting to see how these conversations have evolved in the past year because we started at a place where like for the first time in a bigger way it seems like more people than ever were on the same page you know with the george floyd uh killing that so many people were more comfortable being on the same page publicly. And that was like a massive step from, yeah. you know, from what I can see in my, you know, in my humble opinion as an outsider to the the reality of the situation. Um, but from there it's, it's like split off into different directions and people, you know, there's, there's no shortage of like infographics on Instagram that people are sharing and, and linking right. to. And I always try to click through and read about it because there's so much out there and it's impossible to be aware of it all because it's based on very specific people's experience sometimes. So I think it's in that sense, it's great to know that there's a lot more discussion about it. Um, and I do see a lot of positive about all this stuff, but yeah. you know, th to have the goal of fixing it, that's, that's not the right goal. I don't think, I don't, because we're yeah, I don't think that it can be fixed. I don't think it's ever like a, I don't think it needs it, to be fixed. I mean, that, I don't know. That's probably like not it was the ever right. Like it was ever perfect to begin with. It's never been perfect. Never will be perfect. Yeah. I I just moved to this small town called St. Helens in Oregon. It's a pretty, it's a kind of a rural town. So it was very, would drive by lots of Trump like rallies, you know, along the side of the grocery store with signs and everything. Yeah. And uh, there's these two, there's a Black Lives Matters billboard and directly across from it is a Back the Blue billboard. So like, pro-police yeah and i thought it was such a great analogy for where we are as a country just these two billboards that are nothing more than these blanket statements that they're saying that don't contain conflicting ideas that don't contain you know multitudes of experiences and and hopes for the country and hopes for themselves in their own lives it's just i believe this i believe this and that's it there's no, <laughs> that's that's where so many people seem to be it seems like it's turned into it seems like it's turned into sports teams yeah or religion ideology you know ideology just uh i believe this you believe this you're right i'm wrong or i'm right you're wrong there's no discussion it's yeah a, i think it's a shitty place to be <laughs> but i do believe that there's a right side and a wrong side of history and i, I totally and and it's too bad that that isn't the center of the discussion more people are are more likely to have like where we started this train of uh, like this topic about what it's all mean, what it all means, like the way we discuss it, like, oh yeah, it's tough because you don't want to put yourself out there. You might get the thing like that becomes this, the topic of conversation for most people, how we're like scared of maybe being looked at wrong for something we say or whatever, but that's just a symptom of the thing that is now right. being overshadowed by like everything that comes after, which is like way less important. Yeah. Um, but I also truly think that um, a lot of the extremism we see, not that it doesn't exist in real life, but most of it lives online. Maybe not most, but a lot of it lives online where if you follow certain things or if you read certain things, you can feel like, oh my God, I'm just, I almost feel like I don't fit into this because I'm not as extreme as all these things I'm seeing. Like I'm not liberal enough. I'm not open-minded enough. Or on the other side, I'm not conservative enough. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to die on the hill of supporting my supporting police because my uncle's a cop because I am also like pro, you know, rights for people and pro everything else on the other side. And, and I think it, it, you can feel like the whole world is a certain way, but when you step out of your house 
and you're like in the real world, these conversations aren't happening in that same way for the most part. Exactly. Because we can see each other, we can actually talk face to face and we can see each other's facial reactions, our body posture, the way that we use our hands when we're expressing our ideas. And yeah. there's so much of, of how we understand each other has to do with that. And for the past year, it's all been just words typed out, just like those billboards. There's nothing else to yeah. that. So which we're reading in the tone, like I said before, that we're reading them in the tone that we're assuming about them. So it's like playing telephone kind of with ourselves in a sense where, you know, we're all amplifying it in ourselves. But if we were to see that person, like if you say something and somebody takes it in a way that is different, or maybe you just said something, you know, not you, but just someone says something shitty and someone takes it in a way that's there, they become defensive or they become combative about it. If that happened in real life, it would go down way different. Because people are just very comfortable online, like, oh, you're fucking like making very general statements about people, but how could they not? Because either we're arguing with strangers most of the time. Right. Yeah. And what is the point? I know. I know. I've never done it because I never thought I was, you know, I never thought anything good could come out of those dialogues. I've, I've, I've never felt confident enough in my own opinion on most stuff that I see in, that people are arguing about in that way to be like, to jump in and just be like, all right, I'm here. Here's my opinion. Get ready for it. <laughs> it just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem rewarding. And, uh, and I don't want to contribute to making someone feel bad or feeling wrong or dumb. Totally. And I really, I want to feel good. So that never made me feel like if I had any negative interactions, my approach in person, I love to address whatever comes up. I think it's much better to be clear and straightforward, but online, my reaction is just delete and fucking block. I don't want to have right. a conversation. It's not going to do me any good. I'm not going to do yeah. that person any good. It's going to make me feel weird. And I don't want to feel weird. Yeah. But then you can also take that and look at it from the other side and think like, well, you have the luxury of just walking away from it because it doesn't affect your life. Well, these are issues that do affect my life. You know, if someone's in that position, so staying sensitive and open to that sort of thing is also important so that it's like everything can, anytime you feel like you've arrived at a comfort zone, there's a contradiction that often to me feels just as valid. And that's why I'm not comfortable taking a definite stance on certain things. Obviously, racism is bad. Like, you know, there are things that need to be fine tuned and things that we can even broadly tune, obviously. Um, but like when we get into more nuanced things, um, it's hard to want to really just like hold the flag for one opinion for me anyway. Yeah. Because I can, I'm always, the second I arrive at an opinion, or if I read something where I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird, I think I try to break it down and think, why, why do I feel this way about it? Why, why am I reacting negatively to something that I'm seeing before I'm going to react to it and show that my negative thought? Because I'm always going to end up feeling dumb after because I didn't put the thought in first. And maybe that's, that's part of the way people react to, but I'm just trying to talk myself out of everything I think as an exercise. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. But it, it leaves me feeling a little bit like not rooted in a lot. But that's good. Just, you know, like Socrates yeah, said, the it is. understanding is the realization that we don't know anything. Certainty is, they say certainty is death. You know, once you believe something for certain, you close yourself off to all other possibilities. That. But you can be so open that someone will just lead you right off the end of the cliff. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's good to, it's good to it's good to be open. It's good to be aware. It's good to 
watch yourself, like what you're saying you're doing, you're observing yourself and the way that you're reacting. But I think, I, I don't know. I don't think you'd be let off a cliff. Fucking tons of people have been let off a cliff into fucking QAnon and shit. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever, whatever the fuck. Uh, so it definitely happens. So there's got to be some level of self-awareness to protect you from that. But I think that yeah. openness is really good to exploring ideas and, you know, coming closer to, I don't know, if, if there is a truth, I don't know. <laughs> no, we should start our own podcast about this stuff, because I think that the world needs two white guys giving their opinions some more. I don't think there's, enough of that. there's not enough of that on the internet. So I think we should start an entire show where we just spin our wheels about all this stuff for hours weekly. <laughs> that would be, I think it would be, would really help people out. Yeah. Really beneficial to the conversation. I was thinking it's funny that it's two white guys talking about this, but you know, but Hey, that's, that's the, the hand we were dealt. Yeah, we are what we are. Um, all right. What have you have you had to struggle with anything in your life that you've overcome? Like, uh, have you had any like emotional issues or things that you've had to deal with? I think probably in the in the biggest way so far. I'm kind of doing it right now. Um, I think I'm finally at an age where I'm old enough that I've, I can see patterns that aren't going to change on their own and I can't ignore them anymore. And I'm lucky that it's, it's nothing that's like, that like incapacitates me. Um, I, I kind of think that I'm like a little bit depressed all the time, but I don't think it's like such an intense depression that it's, I've been able to like not pay attention to it for this long. I guess if that explains it in a way. Um, but it's still there. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And, um, but I don't know, but that's also like an excuse. Like I just said the problem and made the excuse for it. Well, it happens to a lot of people, you know? So I think just working, trying to be more self-aware with the stuff that I always thought I was self-aware about. And I'm realizing that maybe I'm aware, but I'm not doing anything with that. Um, but it's a lot through discussion like this. I feel like it's helping me to get to the point where I can identify more things. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's really, I guess it's just the stuff that we've already talked about, like self-confidence kind of thing. I think I've always talked myself out of doing the thing that starts to feel a little hard. Like avoiding the, the exertion or the difficulty. Yeah. I guess because like I was so focused on music and then it got to a point where it was hard, like harder than it had been. If I want, if I was going to like break the ceiling of where I was at, it was going to take a lot. And then I just gave up. And I don't want to get to that with tattooing because it's too easy. And I think I've leaned into the, I've leaned into the like, um, you know, the walking guy, I can do everything. I can like do a convincing job of many styles and it's like good enough and people are stoked on it. And it's great, but I want to be, I don't know, more deliberate, I guess. I want to focus, I want to be more selfish in a way that benefits me. And um, that's, that's what I've been working on, trying to be more focused, knowing that it's going to take work um, 
in different areas of my life and trying to become more disciplined to enable myself to have the time and focus to do that sort of stuff. Mm, that's cool. There was such a good interview with Robert Rodriguez, the movie director, and Tim Ferriss, and he talks about creativity. And it's some of the best shit I've ever heard. It, yeah, it's I gotta so listen good. to it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But he talks about creativity. You know, people view it like this flash of energy or like this moment where you're feeling this creative burst of energy, but that it's actually a discipline that you have, you know, you show up daily and, and you put the work in and then it starts to build upon itself. So I like that idea. I think what really, what really made me it clear to me that I had to start considering this stuff in a real way is like, I'll, I'll listen to podcasts or I'll watch videos or something and it will have stuff like that in it. And it resonates with me so much in the moment I'm hearing it that I'll have like tears in my eyes mm. because I'm like, that's it. That's what I needed to hear. But that alone isn't going to do it, obviously. But it's like, obviously, there's a reason I'm reacting like that. You know, oh. I'm looking for something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm searching. <laughs> it's, but it's true. You poor son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, how about, do you got any, are you, do you like to read at all? I don't read. No books. I'm embarrassed to say that. Now I read the red badge of courage in third grade. That was probably the last one. <laughs> All right. How about movies? What, what movie have you watched more than any other movie? I don't do movies either. What? I don't, I, I don't. It's like the joke. Um, it's like the joke at the shop. Um, my business partner that I own the shop with bill, um, I've worked alongside him for a bunch of years now. And that's always a joke. Cause he's like a movie guy. He'll, he'll get down with some movies. And anything he ever brings up, I've never seen it. It's just like the joke. <laughs> never I'm seen it. I'm flabbergasted. I've never seen, I don't watch Star Wars. I've never seen Lord of the Rings. I've never seen fucking Harry Potter, all these series people love, all these like classic movies. Most of them I haven't seen. But the movies I have seen are like the most random, weird bullshit. Like I've, I've seen Dude Wears My Car twice. <laughs> but it's like, I'll, I'll watch things by accident. So I, I don't usually choose, which is kind of funny because I, I'm very interested in filmmaking. Yeah, that's really surprising. Like, I'm really interested. I th I feel like I think, I think in terms of like movie scenarios or like dramatic scenes or whatever. Like, that's that's how I get ideas for like videos I want to make. But I don't watch movies, so I don't know what I don't know what that is. And it's not that I dislike them. I think it's just I don't make the time for it, and I always mean to. And people always say, "Oh, you got to see this," and I'm like, "Yeah, like I want to see it, but I just I'm not gonna." So what do you and your wife? What do you, what do you and your wife do? Talk to each other? Ugh, yeah, sometimes. God. <laughs> no, I I think that I I choose to watch, and I'm not saying that I'm like this this monk of a creature, and I'm just all work, and I'm so focused because I watch dumb shit constantly. I mean, I just I watch stuff that's like non-committal on so YouTube. That, yeah, right. Right. So I probably watch the worst stuff. Like if I'm going to watch a show, I'll watch like the trashiest reality TV because there's, it's just, it's there. It's like, shut my mind off. I don't have to think. I love American Idol. I think that show's fantastic. <laughs> like it's like the journey to stardom, the journey to self-discovery. It's really a beautiful thing. All right. Cool. I think that's my, my love language is, <laughs> is an audience clapping for you. That makes me tear up sometimes too. <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. It's a weird thing to be obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> well, 
Anything what else, else you got? You? What else you got for me? I know you got the wisdom. I was excited oh, yeah. to talk What's to you. Your, uh, what is your definition of success? Mm. Lots and lots of money. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's nothing that isn't cliche. Nothing that other people haven't said. I just want to be happy. I want to do stuff I like. And I feel like I'm already doing that. So I feel pretty successful in my life. Things are good, but I don't want to jinx it by saying that. But I feel like right now I'm in a good place overall as far as like all the stuff that may be hard to find in life. I feel like I got, I've got all the hard stuff. Yeah. Well, that's good. It feels good. It really yeah. does. But I also feel guilty saying it. Does it feel guilty to be successful? No, because I've worked very hard. But it's just like to say it on a podcast when I know people are not in great place necessarily. It feels a little bad, but I'm trying not to be gloaty about it. I'm just, things are good right now. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I but I think there's part of that. Somebody asked me that question a long time ago, and I really had a hard time coming up with the answer. And I didn't know. Uh, I had never thought about it. And I think it's a, you know, it's a good thing to think about because it gives us some direction to head in. But like if the answer is happiness, that's hard because nobody's ever going to be happy every day of their life. It's not humanly possible. So more tangible things are, are, are good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I ask people a lot of questions in my life and then anytime they turn them back on me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm not, I shouldn't make a podcast because I don't have a lot to give. You are giving, you're giving every time you do it. I know, but I mean, I guess more specifically, like I'll listen to, like if, if I'm listening to your podcast or I was listening to, what did I have on the other day? Uh, Mike Giant makes a podcast. I was listening to that. Mm -hmm. I really don't listen to a lot of tattoo podcasts. Um, I think I'm scared that I'm going to like subconsciously take ideas and bits from other people and I don't want to like jock people's shit because I think that, you know, I, I, I like that we're all different and have different we're coming from different places and stuff. Um, but hearing someone, hearing when the host is someone with like a massive experiences and just all the stuff where they're adding so much to, I feel like I'm just setting people, I'm putting the ball on the tee and just hoping that the guests that I have are smacking them out of the park. And usually they do. Um, but I feel like sometimes I'm not even part of it. You're facilitating. Yeah, no, definitely. That's how I look at it every time. Yeah. I'm the facilitator. And it's like, I, I will get the question out. It's like you plant the seed. And then when you watch them pick up the watering can and they just take it and they go, and then I sit back and I think, fuck yeah, we're doing this. And I feel so good about it because that's, that's what I want. I don't want the whole thing to be about me, but I feel like it makes a really nice dynamic when it's more conversational rather than me just like teeing people up with shit. Right. And sometimes yeah, I feel like I don't even know. Sorry to cut you off. I feel like I don't even know how to talk to people. <laughs> we just talked for like for almost the two and a half hours. Yeah. It's not that I can't. <laughs> like I worry that there's just be a person where I just can't do it. Like, oh, when dude. I think, like yeah. if I have somebody on and I'm like, okay, what am I going to talk about? And I'm trying to like, cause I always try to have an outline. I tried for a little while to not plan stuff out and it's just, it wasn't good. <laughs> like I need some direction. I got a real people in and uh, I, 
sometimes it's just like, I don't even know what to ask this person because I'm like too aware of stuff that I feel like is typical on a podcast that I try to avoid. But then when I'm listening to one, I have no problem listening to that stuff. Yeah. You know? So it's like, why, you know, you can't reinvent the wheel every time. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the most sensational interviewer ever. It's just not going to be, and you don't have to be because it really is about the guest, which is, which is what I love. The guest does the heavy lifting. I hope you feel that I've done the heavy lifting for you today. Cause it's my turn. <laughs> you did a great. <laughs> um, but I feel like you're, you're a good host. Like you're a more likely host for something like this than I am in my own opinion. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I, uh, it's true. I, I've been enjoying it. I tried to do the, uh, the, like I interviewed Austin and I had a bunch of set questions, but then I started to just have like a really loose outline of like, if I, if I get lost, I could look down and have some. Yeah. Some that's all you reminder. need. But I've, I've enjoyed the more conversational, uh, thing of it and just letting it kind of come to life. And I haven't run into one yet where that's been difficult but i'm sure that'll happen it'll definitely happen and yeah. you'll sweat a little bit but it, it builds character <laughs> totally have you have you heard of cal fussman no so cal fussman you know esquire magazine mm -hmm. they uh they used to have this great thing things i've learned and it was with you know all these great hollywood celebrities and it would just be the things that they learned in their life cal fussman is the person that did these interviews he interviewed like fucking I don't know, three or four presidents. He interviewed Gorbachev. He's a master interviewer. Him and Larry King, both. Uh, there's one where Cal Fussman interviews Larry King on Tim Ferriss's show. And man, it's like a master class in interviewing. And it was so uh, helpful. But I like, love that. Miranda was saying, you know, like interviews are so, like, it's not interviews anymore. People want conversations. Like where, you know, like Joe Rogan, it's just like this exploration of ideas, which I've, I've really been enjoying because I am very interested in the people that I'm interviewing, but I also have a lot that I want to uh, explore and communicate and learn and share. So like Larry King would say, you don't talk about yourself. You you know, you're, you're just listening. That's the other really cool part I've enjoyed about it is I'm learning to listen a lot better. And that it's almost like a meditation of being in the moment, which has been really enjoyable. Yeah. Well, you get to try out all these different dynamics within conversation that maybe you've never been conscious of. I think interviewing like as a skill, being an interviewer is like one of the most cool and attractive abilities that one can have, because not only can you make a show that can potentially do a lot for a lot of people but it also just makes your own life as a social person better richer yeah yeah i never i almost started started my podcast as an exercise in being completely out of my comfort zone in every way because i was like when i started tattooing i was so awkward to the point where <laughs> I had a friend who recommended like one of those really cheesy self-help books, like how to talk to anyone and how to I'm speak to I'm all about anyone. those books. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, I think the first time I ever really looked into one, maybe there was some other like financial one that my sister had recommended to me before that, but I didn't fucking get it when I was 20. I don't like, <laughs> I didn't care. And, uh, 
and that that was like a bit of a turning point but um just feeling more comfortable around people in general like if back when i started if i had a client who like I was face to face with as I was like setting up my station. That was like a nightmare because I was so uncomfortable socially. And you'd think having a teaching degree, you'd be comfortable. Like I was comfortable like teaching a class. I could speak in front of people, but that almost felt like a, perf a performance. That wasn't like me bearing myself to a person, even to a very shallow degree. Um, so for me, doing the doing the podcast has opened up a lot of doors for me and has made me excited. And uh, I seek conversation like this. Yeah. And forever and it, it really gives a lot of like i don't know I, this is what it's all about i think totally. to me i was talking to my ex about how it's been since i moved back and that i feel like i'm in the land of opportunity and i get to you know do whatever i can think of i can bring to life and she was asking about the podcast and i was saying you know one of the things i realized when i was down there that i wanted my peer group or my level of people that I was in communication with to be people that were uh, that were going to offer me something back. I felt really stuck down there. Like I was surrounded by, I was the oldest and everybody's on permanent vacation and fucked up all the time or just completely loony. It's a great place, but it's, if, as I came up with ideas of what I wanted to do with my life, felt really like at a loss there. So just even being able to have these conversations and develop new relationships with people that are driven and determined and talented and thoughtful. And, you know, this is just so rewarding. My life already feels richer just by having the conversation. You should have been doing this while you were there. I, man, I talked about doing it when I worked at Kings Avenue fucking in two, what, 2012 or 13. That was a yeah. long time. You would have been too early, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly, glad I finally started. People wouldn't have gotten it then. Like, I, I almost think like it, it might have fallen on deaf ears, no matter how good of a job you would have done. So, I think it's. I think now is the time. Now is better. Do you do you ever uh, like in general? Do you ever have a hard time showing up to do the things that you set out to do? Do you ever have like a drudgery of like, oh, I don't want to do this. Whatever. Right. Any every time yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's part of my it's part of my hurdles i'm trying to get over yeah i guess the biggest lesson is just to fucking show up and do it yeah that's the lesson of the creativity is that it's not about doing it when it feels right it's about doing it consistently and that all it's just a brick and a brick and a brick and it adds up to something well, that's the thing with drawing is that we don't have anyone but ourselves to make that happen. So it's easy to let yourself off the hook. Too easy. Yeah. The podcast stuff, you're like, okay, I'm setting it up with the person. Like you're accountable by your guest or by a travel thing that you're going to set up to do shows or whatever. So yeah, I often do stuff that in theory, it's so great. And then before it's going to happen, I'm like, holy shit. And I hate feeling nervous and I don't often feel nervous, but like uh, like I think it was last year, maybe it was the the passage of time. I don't know. It's probably two years ago at this fucking point, or maybe a year and a half. I did an episode of the podcast live at the convention in San Francisco, and I was feeling good about it going into it. And then, like the day before and the day of, I was just like, "Oh my Noxious. fucking god, this was like not a good idea. This was not a good idea." Um, 
but it was fine. It was great. And a bunch of people showed up and seemed to like it. And it was super fun. And I would love Who to did do you interview like that again. I had um, Freddie Corbin, Henry Lewis and Deb Yarian. So it was like, Sick. it was so easy because those guys have so much to share. And, um, but yeah, I was just, just to be the facilitator in a room full of people was such a different experience. And I was just dreading that part of it so much. But then once you get started, it's like, it's just the thing that you do. I'm still sitting in front of my little computer. I still got the same mic in my face. I'm still asking questions the same way I would, but I could tell that, that they were a little nervous about it too. So it made kind of like a tighter dynamic about it. It, it wasn't ideal for anyone, but I'm glad that, that those three like humored me and did it. Cause it, I think it was out of their comfort zone as well. <laughs> See, there you are, man, facilitating. That's great. And yeah, and you're taking the lead and making it happen and creating experiences. Yeah. Yeah, Taking the lead is a weird thing because you don't feel like you're in the lead until like it's happening. So you can plan for it. You can know that you're setting the thing up and then it's just like, like the spotlight kind of thing. You're like, okay. But then it's a very, then the, you know, you, you plant the seeds and then it's time for it to come to life and just let this thing expand and take its own shape and form and, and to grow in whatever way it naturally does. That is pretty exciting about it. It is. And I guess in my case, it's just internet shit. So there's really no consequence. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, man. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Um. Yes, many things. No, I'm just kidding. I think we've <laughs> we've we've covered a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was going to ask you a question. I had. Um, oh yeah, I was. I, I just wanted to say that I think that your format of having people outside of tattooing as well as guests is smart because mm-hmm. it, it opens you up to an endless, like you could do it forever. I feel like there's there's a level where we, if you're just focused on tattooing, it can kind of end. Right. I talked to Steph about that, just like the, because he he he's contem- or he had thought about doing another one because he he's met so many interesting people on his travels. Yeah. And just the tattoo tales really locked him in. It's like Suze Orman, you know Suze Orman. She's got mm-hmm. this financial thing called like Money for Women. And Holly right. Ellis recommended it. And she's like, it's so good. You should listen to it. Cause I'm trying to get back on my feet financially. Yeah. And she really locked herself into this thing with the, you know, money for women. And then in her intro, she says, and for men smart enough to listen. <laughs> <laughs> if you had picked a different name, it wouldn't even be an issue. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Cause my, I'm, that's always been a thing with me. I love tattooing, but my interests are so fucking broad that there's just a ton of different things I'm interested in that I'd like yeah. to talk people. Yeah, you have a lot more to offer than just tattoo stuff, for sure. Yeah, it took me a long time to come to terms with that. I always felt like it was a hindrance, but now it feels like my my leverage. You know, it's my totally my personal thing. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Because I when I started my show, I I. I th- was first focused on like how social media and the internet influenced tattooing. And to me, that felt like such a vast topic. And I did like three episodes and I was like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) wait a second. I kind of did the whole thing on that topic. So now am I going to keep just saying the same fucking thing every single episode? Am I going to get to interview all these great people and ask them the same dumb questions that they're all going to give me the same answer to? 
like and and no fault to them it's just like i'm like not expanding my my uh scope at all so i think i i got really into doing like topic based episodes rather than just guest based and yeah. and that was fun but i don't know if people like it mm. i don't know if people liked it as much it's it's hard to get people's attention to like click on it and listen or watch if it's not a topic they're immediately invested in i mean there's people that trust you as you make a show longer right but but yeah it's been interesting trying different things and seeing what the response is to it. Yeah. How do you, so you said you get a lot of traction on YouTube or you get a lot of people that watch it there. Yeah, it does. Okay. On YouTube, it's more, it's definitely more of an audio thing. Like I get more people that listen rather than watch. Yeah. Easy. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up. I'm about to piss my pants. All right. Go pee. <laughs> Thanks buddy. Thank you. It was really great talking to you. Yeah. I, you I, too, uh, man. yeah keep me posted Appreciate on it everything and if you ever have questions let me know cool. awesome. care, thanks bro later the theme song is by my friend dave perry down in costa rica you can find his music on bandcamp
journey to the one. I'm a child of the stars and I'm making my way home. Home is where the heart is and it's home where I belong. I'm a cosmic pilgrim and I'm here to sing my song.